In the first two seasons of our podcast, I chatted with Kate Leone, a journalist, single mom, and world traveler. Kate had never taken a self-defense course before, and we figured her questions were probably your questions too. So if you've been following along all along, thanks for listening. You can keep up with Kate on her podcast at RestoriaTherapy.com. For this season, it seemed like a good time to change things up a bit. And the new theme song you're hearing, by the way, is an excerpt from a song called Icarus Wish by Berlin punk trio Dead Sentries, who also happen to be my neighbors, and who are generously letting me use this track, which you can also find on Bandcamp. Anyway, I thought it was time to head out into the world, virtually speaking, and talk to other women and men in the universe of self-defense, self-empowerment, and martial arts. I'm talking to old friends, new acquaintances, and complete strangers. Yes, I do talk to strangers, because I can defend myself. But I might hang up on them, too. We'll see. So if you've stuck with us so far, keep listening, keep learning, keep laughing. You never know who we're going to talk to next. Well, I do. Welcome to episode 51 of the Pretty Deadly Podcast. This week, I'm chatting with Simon, Stefan, and Jason of Berlin-based punk band Dead Centuries. You've already gotten a taste of their sound in this podcast's new theme song, which is a clip from their track Icarus Wish. Now, interviewing a band of three guys may seem like an unusual choice for a podcast about self-defense for women, but I wanted to find out what inspires these guys, not only to make music, but how they engage with the world. Two of them are from Australia, and one is German. Two of them are dads of small kids, and one is a dad of a big cat. And all three of them are seasoned musicians in various genres of music. My name is Stefan and I play the drums. My name is Simon and I play guitar and sing. I'm Jason, I play bass. Great. Why are you called Dead Sentries? Ha, that's a good question. Um, I have a reason. As uh, I came up with the uh, name kind of by accident, going to the shops, walking down the street, and I was playing with words and it popped into my head. And then I had to figure out a reason as to why I called the band Dead Centuries. Uh, but it's my reason and I'm not sharing it. So okay. I'm not sure what the others think. Oh, I don't know Simon's reason, but uh, the way he explained it was he had this concept and that was the name that's, that defined it for him. It uh, was a bit of a, like a canary in the coal mine sort of image that uh, I remember him revealing to us, but that was all that he would do. Or he would give us. All right. And you guys just went along with it. Is most of the music political, do you think, that you make? It depends. Uh, It's been more political given recent events, such as uh, Brexit and the the Trump presidency as a whole. Um, A lot of the things that are going on in other parts of the world. Uh, but not necessarily. Um, we write songs about a lot of different topics. Um, it, it can be just uh, some of them are personal, uh, quite a few are political, uh, and quite a few are now ranging onto different matters. Like um, we wrote a song recently about a, a guy in India who um, got 
fired from his job because he didn't turn up for three months and his excuse was that uh, he didn't turn up for work because he'd reincarnated as the god Vishnu and was too busy on the seventh plane of the of the of a parallel universe doing things distractions so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's not always political we are, we do try and look for quirky unusual things to write songs about we also recently wrote a song about um a guy who robbed a bank with a with a with an avocado uh, by saying that it was a grenade oh. these kind of absurdist situations kind of appeal to us i think these are actually true stories that's lifted from the newspaper nothing huh. has been changed except for the words my older brother once um was arrested for bank rob attempted bank robbery with a note he thought that the bank teller was cute, so he slipped. <laughs> he wasn't like the suavest dude on the planet. So he slipped her a note that said, um, give me all your money or I'll me melt you with my mind rays. <laughs> and she kind of like laughed uncomfortably and then he, he left. I guess he figured he, he struck out. And then I think it was like a year or something later, the FBI was banging on his door because attempted bank robbery is a felon in the United States. So then he was busted and he had to go to jail. None of which he took seriously. See, now that would have been perfect if, he, if we didn't already have the avocado guy. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, his story was that he, and I think, I think this happened in Israel in the last two years. Uh, a guy walked into a bank with an avocado and said, I've got a grenade, give me all your money. And they did. And he walked out of the bank and thought, I can't believe that worked. So he walked down the street, crossed the road, went into a different bank and- And uh, did, did it again? And tried to do it again, but didn't get away with it. Did the other bank call ahead? I, I, Were there like, there's a guy with some- Oh, juice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's Those a guy with an avocado headed your way. Don't exactly. give him your money. I'm, I'm not sure on the details, but I guess, I mean, you could get a political meaning out of that if you really want to try or it could just be a fun story. Um, I suppose I, I do try and write lyrics that um, encapsulate larger stories with only a few words, mainly because I don't want to remember all, a lot of words. <laughs> um, but we also try and make things a little uh, ambiguous so that like the name, people can paint their own picture with it if they want to. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the songs are, have some sort of political element, even if they're not a political song. There's, uh, you know, and in that, I mean that there's a point of view that Simon's got and we share, and uh, that comes across in the song. There's a song on an older release about the um, plane crash where the co-pilot crashed the plane and a bunch of school children were killed in the, And that's not necessarily political, but it's got some sort of point of view that we have about mental health or about, you know, just the tragedy of what happened. What are your um, musical influences, especially for Dead Centuries, which is, which definitely leans more towards punk and, and thrash and that kind of stuff. So what's behind that? The initial idea that I had when I started writing music for the band was I wanted to take, um, some of my older punk rock influences, which were things like Black Flag and the Birthday Party and the Jesus Lizard, uh, and mix that with more of a, uh, I guess, kind of a rock and roll feel. 
to create songs that were exciting and had a lot of aggressive impact, but you could also dance to if you wanted to. Um, there was a band uh, that was a bit of a, a superstar band um, in the 90s called Crunt, of all things, um, which uh, is member, is, which is uh, Kat Veland from Babes in Toyland, uh, the drummer from uh, the John Spencer Blues Explosion, whose name escapes me at the moment, and a guy called Stu Spasm from a, an Australian band called Lubricated Goat. And they played music that was very much like if Greg Ginn from Black Flag was really into, you know, rock and roll music and not so much into experimental guitar stuff, mm-hmm. they were a big influence. And I guess, yeah, I mean, it, it sort of comes out as this, you know, aggressive kind of energetic music. Uh, punk is, is, is the term that we hang on it, but you could as easily call it just experimental rock guitar music. Mm. Mm. It has been described as over-aggressive blues as well. Over-aggressive yeah. blues. <laughs> yeah, we, a, f- a friend of ours, the musician Emperor X, um, took his dad to see us. <laughs> and uh, I was hanging out with him before the show and his, his father was like, what are you guys like? And I was a bit lost for words. And um, our friend uh, Emperor X, he said they're like a really, really, really aggressive blues band. Uh, and that's a good description. You know. Wouldn't you say, though, that that's kind of like what punk is in general? I mean, considering what the blues are, I mean, the blues are the blues, you know? I mean, it's basically singing about, you know, the really humanistic experiences of life, the highs and the lows, the challenges, and punk is just in a way, kind of speeding that up and making it louder and sometimes less tuneful. Yeah, but there's also, I mean, uh, in terms of someone like, uh, say, the Birthday Party, who are a big influence, and they use the, the blues scale, the pentatonic scale, in a very straightforward way. Uh, but they also have this this swing to it. So we always wanted to keep that, that swing to the music uh, and, and try to be rhythmic with it. Uh, I think Stefan once said that, that we're a groove band. That's that's the main thing. We get this the the this underpinning kind of groove and try to get from A to B in a very short, simple manner. You're not going to get you know like twenty minute songs with five or six different time changes with us. No ballads. And also, what I what I try to do is is Simon has a song and I try to you know, take it somewhere that he doesn't expect. Like okay. Give it a, a beat that he wouldn't come up with himself or whatever. That's true. That, that he didn't have in mind. On the the new EP, Gorilla Channel is a good example of that. And Simon came in with this really fast guitar thing, saying, "All right, let's all play this," and just went nuts on the guitar. Mm. And Stefan just went, "That's great, dum, dum," <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, that, that was originally supposed to be like a death metal blast beat that I had in mind. And it turned out being this slow rhythmic song. Uh, but I, I suppose this is a good example to the process that we have of writing songs. Stefan mm-hmm. plays drums, Jason plays bass, and I play guitar. And I don't think of it as I write a song and come in with it. And, and it's like, this is what I want you guys to do. This is 
you know, what I've envisioned. It's, this is my part. I've written my parts. Now, what are your parts? And so Stefan will come up with drums, Jason will come up with bass, and then basically we'll sit around and argue with each other for like months sometimes about the arrangement and how everything should be. They, they do come together rather quickly a lot of the time though, but the, yeah. um, that sort of arrangement that we were discussing influences, but one of the key influences in this band is our approach to just saying that, you know, if there's a mistake, then it stays in there. And uh, we, we play together. That's it. That's not overdubs on the last EP. Uh, Simon did an extra guitar, but all the other instruments were done together in one take. Uh, and that's sort of the, the philosophy as the influence on the band. So is it always starting with Simon's songs or do, do either of you? I'm not always. No, there's, just sometimes Stefan's got a beat or um, the, some but of the songs it started with, it mostly is, yeah. yeah. But there are some sort of abandoned beats or bass lines that come back and that's the starting point for a new song. Mm-hmm. It's not always a, a, an entirely fleshed out idea. A lot of times I'll come into a rehearsal with just the fragment of a thing. That, that I'm not sh- and say to the other two guys, I've got this thing and I don't know what to do with it. And then we, we try different things and, you know, it's quite often that Stefan will, will uh, say, you know, do this instead of that or that thing you did like five minutes ago, that was better than what you're doing now. And we do all try and work together in as democratic and, um, you know, manner as possible to create the music. Everyone has has a hand in it. So, so Jason was talking about that there is a certain philosophy and point of view of the music. What can you talk about that? What is that? It's basically the uh, this this sort of like punk rock ethic, and I guess it, it ties into blues music as well. Uh, it, that everything should be honest and, and true, and it should just be us. So we don't really use many of, we don't use effects really. There's a little distortion on the bass. There's some distortion on the guitar, but not very much. Um, it, when we record, everything is done as live to tape as we can. Uh, and we generally only do one or two takes of the songs. And if there is, is a mistake, as Jason said, and it's not really heinous, then it stays in and we leave it. It, it's it's just trying to make music, I suppose, that is as honest as possible. And in the moment too, that's the. There's been times when we've messed up on stage, but because we're in tune with the music and we're in tune with each other, we've recovered. We've seen what's going on. We've jumped to the next part or realised where we are and just play it again. And it's quite a without any talking or agreement at all. We just do it. It's a it's a magical moment when they when those accidents happen. Right. It's like, it's, it's also like freeform jazz in those moments when the music just carries yes, all, the, very, all very the musicians. Fast. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a lot faster. Yeah. Um, the reason I was asking about influences and, and focusing on the punk aspect is because somebody asked me um, in the first season of this podcast what the relationship between punk rock and self-defense is and because this is a self-defense podcast i thought i would ask you the same i found that to be a really 
kind of a weird question just because I don't like, I don't, when I'm training or when I'm teaching, I don't necessarily like have music in my head. I don't listen to music because I, I want to stay right where I am in the moment and I don't want to be distracted, but thinking about a punk aesthetic or values or political um, viewpoints, I could kind of start to see a bridge, but I'm wondering if you guys have feelings about that. I can definitely see a link between self-defense and the the ethos of punk rock music as I understand it, which is coming more from a the philosophy that bands like Minor Threat and Black Flag and the SST sort of crew came up with, which is it well first it's an anti-authoritarian viewpoint, but it's an also a viewpoint that allows you to be yourself, to have total self-expression that you own without feeling the need to conform. And what I mean by that is, is it, it was important for me growing up as a kid in suburban Australia where I was very much an outcast and, uh, you know, school was horrible. The cops would, would pull me over and hassle me all the time and bullies wow. and bad home life and all this kind of stuff. And punk rock was my defence against the world. It allowed me to be empowered to be an individual and to believe in myself in the face of, you know, quite daunting odds a lot of the time. Um, so I, I, in the same way that, that someone might, you know, start learning karate or, or Muay Thai or something so that they can feel empowered and sure of themselves and more confident, uh, it, music does that or did that for me. And I think, yeah, it continues to do it for me. What about you guys, Stefan, Jason? Um, I started making music when I was 13 or 14, I think. And at that time, I would spend a lot of time at home on my bed reading and listening to music. And then there were these guys coming to my place I think twice a week for band rehearsals. And that was the way I connected to the world. <laughs> but, um, so that was very important for me, but I'm not sure if it was, if it was connected to self-defense. It was definitely connected to, to forming myself somehow, making me a person. Right, the way, like, as you said, the way that you connected mm. to the world. What about you, Jason? What did you, what do you think? I can see that there's a connection through, again, political, without being into politics, in the you know, politics of the self or defending yourself against other things. And punk gives an outlet for that. If you think about, you know, the origins of punk in 76 in New York and CBGBs, you get that kind of image of, of people saying, this is my point of view and I'm going to defend it against, um, against the other voices. It's, it's a DIY aesthetic. And that's what you need to do to make yourself heard. In some ways, that's similar to self-defense, I'm sure. Yeah, in some ways, I think. I mean, it's sort of um, just claiming your space in the world. You know, you exist, you're here, except it's kind of claiming the right to um, ask the world to accept you as you are. Defense of the self, you know, is a self-defense or is a putting yourself out, your, your voice, defense of your voice, 
maybe. Yeah, well, defensive use of using a loud electric guitar. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's your defense of your right to be. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of the whole point in the sense of when I'm teaching self-defense, I remind people all the time that it's um, it is defense of the self. In in a way, it's very selfish. It's really all about you you know, and your right to exist and your right to have a voice and your right to exist unmolested. You can be challenged and you can be disagreed with, but you don't have a right to have people violate your space. And I feel like, and that, go ahead. Yeah, that exactly what you said. Now, if you turn that into the self as a voice or as an opinion or as a, a political stance and put a DIY aesthetic to it, or, a, you know, this is, mm -hmm what I'm going to stand for, then that's very much a punk thing. It's where you get the, some of the squats we've played at or the clubs that are traditional punk clubs, that's their stance as well. They, they give you that space to, to, um, to give your voice and that time to be able to say whatever you want to say. Do you think that, um, that this is sort of like a common thing for men to do to sort of turn to music as a way to um to identify and simon you were saying that in a way it's kind of like a form of self-defense when you when you identified with punk and with music as a kid because you were an outcast and um all these other things were happening in your life do you think that that's you know in kind of in the social structures that we have for boys and girls do you think that that's a common outlet for boys? Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, but I, the, the wonderful thing that I like about punk music or outside of rock in general, as I like to call it, is it's not gender specific. Um, growing up, I, I, you know, was expected to be all these different things, but I could escape. I could go to a rock and roll show and there would be, you know, people with, with crazy hair and, things in their, you know, piercings and stuff, uh, which was, you know, not that common back then. Uh, but also, you know, you had same-sex couples, you had transgender people, um, you had people of all different colours and backgrounds, and you could just be together in this space. And the only thing you were there for was the music, and that was the thing that mattered. So I, I think it's definitely, like a progressive space music creates progressive spaces and that's what i like about the, the kind of music that we play and i don't think that's that's necessary i mean it, the, the the archetype is is you know um young men in the garage doing their thing but especially these days i think you'll find more and more um, women and pe people who don't who are you know don't like to ascribe to the whole gender idea getting into music i mean certainly the bands that i'm finding exciting at the moment who are playing punk music uh, mostly um, female fronted or all women bands you're talking about um it being a safe space but there's there's huge groups of female musicians in every genre, um, including in the punk genre, who even as far back as the 70s, um, who have talked about bias, danger, 
um, sexism, things that have been really frustrating, especially in more alternative music scenes like punk, where that's not even really supposed to exist and yet it still persists. Yeah, exactly. But the point is, it's it's not supposed to exist. I mean, we, we have our ideal that we would like to strive for. Um, and then we have, you know, unfor- the unfortunate reality of the music industry and the fact that some people are just jerks. Um, mm. But the attractive philosophy around, you know, the the punk aesthetic, as I see it, is that it does allow people, it, well, it, you know, in the perfect expression of the medium, it should allow people a safe space to be whoever they want. They should do it. That's the power, I think, of the, of punk in that space. And it, like Simon said, it's when it becomes a little impure or the motives change, then that's when it goes into that more dangerous and less ideal territory, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It, you're nodding. You've been nodding your head a lot, Stefan. What were you agreeing with in all of that? I've I've been thinking about. I, I I've played in many different bands, and some of them have been all male, and some have been mixed. And actually, for the future, I sort of would like to make sure that that any new band I start is sort of mixed in some way, but, because it's always it's always. Um, I think probably that essentially being all male is, is a happy accident, but that uh, mixed bands are usually more interesting. Okay, he just called you guys not in, not as interesting. <laughs> well, I I I, I personally, we know. yeah, we know. Uh, but but I I spent um, you know about six years playing in a very left wing political band called uh, the Assassination Collective and. Two of our members uh, women and the, some of the things that happened to us um, in terms of how we were treated and the band dynamic um, were interesting is, is probably an understatement um, and yeah I mean as Stefan uh, said it's, it's a happy accident that we are the three boring dudes that we are because I didn't set up a band saying i'm just going to have guys in the band because that's that's how bands should be just these are the people that i happen to meet and um we just found that it worked with three of us but if we wanted to add a fourth person or a fifth to the band it would be whoever fit in whoever wanted to do it what stefan if you you've worked in bands with um more gender diversity, we can say, in the past. What's different about the, the process? Is it, is it a different creative process? Are there different politics? So I'm someone who works almost exclusively with women, um, mm-hmm. both on the business aspect of my business as well as um, giving classes and courses. So it's so female dominant, and that comes with its own set of... Um, peculiarities, we'll say. Hmm. Sometimes challenges, sometimes benefits, but it's a, it's just a different landscape when there's no other gender involved. Hmm. Is that something that you've experienced between yeah. these two ban- th- this I, band, this band and others? I think there's the, the, the internal band uh, communication thing that's different if, if, there, if there are different kinds of people in a band. 
but also uh, it's how, how bands are perceived by people coming to shows or whatever. If, if, uh, yeah, if there's more diversity there, then, then it has a different kind of effect on people. What do you see as the difference in the effect? I'm, I'm not sure I can say, but it, it, maybe it's more, more, more open to everyone or to more people. I'm really not sure, but it... It's interesting because I, when I used to see bands more regularly, and especially when I worked at CB's in New York and was like constantly not doing my job and <laughs> sneaking in to see the shows, it maybe because I was younger, you know, I was around 18, 19, 20. Um, it didn't, it, I never really noted when the band had, if the band was all men or, or all women or a mix of both, when it was well-known bands, like who, you know, who cared, it was so exciting to see them. And CBGB's was a very small club. So you were always really, really close to the band. Um, but I don't ever recall it mattering to me as a woman. Um, what mattered was the music. Is the music good? That's all I care about. And are you doing a little bit more than just standing there looking like you're falling asleep because you just shot up some heroin on stage? Also mattered a little. I mean, there are some bands where that was their entire aesthetic, so then it's kind of okay. But, you know, if it's everybody, you're like, come on, man. So from an audience perspective, for me, it was never a really big issue. Although I saw Peaches perform in Chicago about 10 years ago, and it's the only time I've seen her play um, live and she had this bass player and I thought she had this bass player partly as a political and a gender statement because this bass player was this tall very very beautiful blonde woman um, and everything about her was like you know the cool bass player except that she was also a very hot chick like much hotter than peaches and I couldn't shake the feeling that she had that she had this bass player almost as a not as a front woman, but she was very much, you know, uh, very much at the front of the stage with Peaches all the time, kind of as a like as a sort of a twist on exploiting the female body in a way, which for Peaches that would make sense because she she is political in her performances. So, I don't know. All you guys just look like you're, you're all just very seriously thinking about what I'm saying. <laughs> well, we don't let Stefan play with his shirt off anymore. I can tell you that. All right. <laughs> oh, have, you, have, the, have you, Simon or Jason, played, with, uh, played in band? Well, you, Simon said have, you've played in other bands with uh, women as well. Have you, Jason? Uh, not in bands, but I've done uh, most, a lot of the collaborations I've done have been with um, with women. In Australia, I played more uh, indie or, or folk music, mm -hmm. and I recorded some music and different collaborations there. And they were they're almost always with women. That's um, just gave a different dynamic. Is yeah. I think there's one just I had an idea for a collaboration just before I left Australia and I told a friend about it and she said I'm in I'll do it and the idea was that we just 
I lived in a one, well, it was a, it was a house in Australia. So the, the neighbors were close, but not, weren't too bad. They're not on top of each other like here. The idea was just to record an entire album, write and record in 48 hours. So we did that. She came over, slept in the living room and we stayed up. We did eight songs and then five songs and ended up in 48 hours with 15 tracks. But the, this, I think the most intense collaboration I've done and the collaborations I've done as a, a sound designer or for art installations, it's, it's also been female artists or female filmmakers. It's just uh, not something I've necessarily sought out, but uh, the collaborations work well. I think maybe, maybe also um, when, when I make music, I, I like to, I try to avoid cliches. And that's much easier if you've got people from different backgrounds. Mm. Yeah. True. I'd agree with that. True. So, so what you guys need is like a gay, black, trans. Keyboard player. Keyboard player. <laughs> or maybe a clarinet player or something. I don't know. If, if you are a gay, black, trans uh, clarinet player and, and are listening to this podcast, get in touch, you know, <laughs> maybe make something happen. You're hiring. Um, <laughs> so you guys just released this new EP. Yeah? Yeah, we did. Um, and, and new is a bit of an odd way to describe it because actually we, it was recorded uh, quite a while ago and we've just been sitting on it for a long time. How come? And, uh, well, we wanted to release it in a, in a proper way with a, with a show and a physical release. And then uh -huh. we realized that there were a bunch of songs about Trump and we realized that may be coming to an end. So we shouldn't release it after the whole issue's over. <laughs> yeah, timing is everything. Yeah. So the, uh, you know, the lockdown was, unfortunately, we couldn't play a show for it. But uh, we've had some good feedback, I think, from the, the record. Well, I think it, the, it took us a while to find the right mix once it had been recorded. Uh, and so that went through a fair few different processes of trying to get the sound of the record itself correct. Uh, and then, as Jason says, it was a matter of timing and we were all sort of ready to go. And then the pandemic happened. And also, I guess, uh, Jason and me were busy with our kids. And... Yeah, the children got in the way. Yeah, That's true. definitely. <laughs> it's all because of the children it's true they, we recorded it just after the first child showed up on the scene i think and then since then you've been dealing been with those responsibilities don't you different guys, collaborations don't you guys have three children between you yep they do i have a cat no, I'm, I, I know, I meant this. So you recorded the album when the first child showed up on the scene, and now there's three? Yep. So you have been sitting on it for a while. So you have a lot of songs about Trump, which means that then you would have started writing those songs in 2016 or 2015. Or 2016, I would That's guess. Right. Yeah, about yeah. then. Because I think we started playing these in 2016. Yeah. Okay. And again, I mean, 
I don't want to date the music by saying this particular song is about Trump, but there's there's two that were very much influenced by his politics and Trumpism as itself and uh, Brexit, which affected me personally. Uh, mm-hmm. And just this sort of tsunami of, of insane right-wing politics that was kind of engulfing the world. Um, I mean, if, you, if you're writing, you know, kind of energetic, aggressive rock music, it's, it's, a, it's a deep pool to drink from. Uh, and so it did. But, or pee into. Or pee into, yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll definitely do either one of those things afterwards. We're not going to stop playing the music just because, you know, the era of Trump or whatever is over. These, these ideas behind the songs transfer. Um, Actually, um, compared to other bands, in this band we talk a lot when we need to rehearse. Like we tend to talk for an hour before we even play a song. So maybe there is something for the hero. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little more thoughtful, I, I guess the so, process. Yeah. 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 But how does that make you feel then? And because there has been a relationship, I know in Australia there's also been um, some echoes of Trumpism with the government. You know, Trump setting, the, setting a really bad precedent for pretty much everybody. Well, that's that's it. You know, it's the precedent that he sets. As far as Australia goes, we've been dealing with it, Trumpism is nothing new to us because we've had, you know, since John Howard in the 90s and even before that with Joe Biocchi-Peterson in Queensland, we've had very right-wing, not progressive um, figureheads. And uh, I, I think watching, you know, Brexit and and Boris and the rise of Boris Johnson uh, and now the rise and hopefully ignominious fall of Donald Trump. Um, it's on the one hand, it's a relief that, that, that Trump is going to be out of office. On the other hand, it's, there are still all these other problems that are going on. Um, I think things are turning though with, um, I mean, it, possibly that what you meant with Australia was that in Queensland, which is traditionally a very conservative state, we've just elected a, a kind of left-wing government. Um, in New Zealand, we had um, a very progressive uh, left-wing prime minister be re-elected by a landslide and be lauded throughout the world for her leadership. And I, I, I'm hoping that this um, trend continues so that we can go, we can continue, you know, writing songs about dudes that rob banks with avocados and, and not these incompetent people that are running the world. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just say on the Australian topic, Australia is, like Simon said, since John Howard was really playing the xenophobia card and there was a rise of a right-wing populist movement there, it's, it's still there and it's growing. It's just not in the mainstream the two mainstream parties at the moment. It's sort of an unrecognisable Australia I saw last time I went back. And it's because of that kind of 
residue, I think, that the issue wasn't getting just one person out of the White House. There's the other elements of being able to, you know, the, the, for the community not to heal, but to move on to deal with the race issues and the, the other issues of, um, how to say it, anyone, Simon? <laughs> it's not a matter of healing, but the uh, dealing with those issues head on, I guess, instead of saying that they're, they're non-existent now. Right. Instead of, I mean, I think that's, that's something a lot of people are talking about the U.S. as well, that it's not, um, it's, you can't heal it. It's more about um, figuring out a way to move forward, acknowledging that these things exist. And then, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think nobody knows. Like you can't, it's not, you can't fix it. You can't heal it. You dealing with it really isn't quite the right term. But somehow um, building, a, stopping it, I guess, and building a, before it, you know, takes over to such a large degree again and building a better world, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the way to say it. I don't know either. Yeah. I think the, the function of, of talking about politics and music, uh, it, one of the, I think one of the main things is we're not out, we're not trying to convert anybody to our point of view because I think the people that are, that are against what we believe in are not going to be converted. Um, they might enjoy the music and they still won't swing with the politics and, you know, fine. Uh, but really the point Works of Works with some rage against the machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the point that it, it, it does is that it, it, it allows the people who are perhaps struggling uh, on their own, that they're not alone, that that there is a community out there for them and that there are other people that, that share their voices. I know that that's what I got from punk music when I was a kid. But I, I'd also like to add that this is not solely our focus. We're not out there trying to be the next crass. Um, our focus is on making good music and being a band that is energetic and experimental and surprising and fun and also, you know, something that you could jump around to or dance to. Uh, That's the focus. So it's like if we can cram a little bit of politics in there or if we can have a little inside joke about some ridiculous news story, you know, that's fun too, but it's not the main thing. What's so inspiring to me, not only about Dead Century's music, but just conversations with these guys in general, is the wide-ranging influence of stuff, from politics to music to literature to, well, avocados, that translates into just a deep love of humanity, despite our occasional idiocy, or not so occasional. What I mean is, and what comes across to me most in their music is, that they really care One of my favorite writers is American Southern author Eudora Welty, who said, I have been told, both in approval and accusation, that I seem to love all of my characters. I would say the Dead Centuries do, too. You can learn more about Simon, Jason, and Stefan at their website, deadcenturies.com, and purchase their latest EP, Monkey Speak, featuring my favorite track, Anyone Can Be President, from Bandcamp at deadcentries.bandcamp.com and hopefully catch them live in the not-too-distant future, too. 
Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Collick, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.